DCFM Newswire. Get involved in the conversation on Facebook and on Twitter at DCFM News. Welcome back to Newswire. It's uh, just coming up to quarter to five. Now, today is the three-year anniversary since Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 disappeared on its way from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing with 239 passengers and crew on board. The search still hasn't been able to find the wreckage. To discuss this further, I'm now joined on the line by Irish aviation journalist Jerry Byrne. Jerry, welcome back to the programme. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, good to speak to you again. Uh, so, Jerry, just if you can sum up uh, where the search has gone so far and uh, basically why they haven't been able to find the wreckage so far. Well, they, they, they haven't been able to find the wreckage because um, they may be looking in the wrong place. We, we just don't know. Um, the, 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 this is one of the biggest searches for um, a, a, a missing aircraft that has ever been conducted in the history of aviation. They are searching thousands upon thousands of square miles of open sea. And, of course, it's made more difficult uh, by the fact that they're, they're looking for something that, if it's air, is at the bottom of the ocean. Um, it's, it's some of the most unknown ocean um, bed that uh, there is. Um, and, um, I mean, they, they've discovered underwater mountains, for example, that geographers didn't even know existed. Um, it's it's been that novel, as it were, a search. Um, the 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 plane could be could be at the bottom of an undersea canyon. It could be embedded in in deep silt. Um, we we just don't know. Um, bits of it though have floated ashore. Um, they they have come ashore um, off the the coast of um, South Africa, um, which uh, you know the Mauritius and Madagascar and places like that which indicates when you look at the way the, the ocean currents work there, they, they tend to go from the Indian side across to the African side at, at, around the, the area where the plane is thought to have gone down. So that, and so that would indicate that it probably has gone down somewhere in the South Indian Ocean, but exactly where. Um, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, it really is. Yeah, you mentioned uh, there uh, that area that they are searching, that arc just uh, southwest of Australia. Uh, they've searched um, an, an unbelievable amount of uh, water there, but they still haven't been able to find it. Um, do you think there's any chance uh, that it will be found? Because now we've seen at the end of January that um, the search was suspended and that uh, Malaysia and Australia and China, which seem to be the main contributors to the fund, um, searching for this uh, there has there was a report that uh, suggested it may be in a different location just to the north of that but do you think there any, is any chance that the search will be restarted it's very very hard to know unless new information comes to light um, it, it's very very difficult to predict this because um, the, even the the, the the information that they got or that they are using uh, to pinpoint if, if I can use such a word um, the search area is itself very tenuous. Um, there's no radar um, of where it went down. There's no broadcast from the air, aircraft saying where it went. Um, everything is conjecture and fairly advanced mathematics. Um, what they're relying on is information extracted from satellite records um, of communications that didn't actually take place um th there were what what i think they call handshakes in in electronic terms 
where a device on the aircraft was trying to communicate with um, a, a satellite and, and tell the satellite um, if it had any information to give. Now, this, this related to a service which um, Malaysian Airlines didn't even subscribe to, but the, 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 the equipment was on board, so it went through the motions of contacting the satellite, but no actual information uh, was exchanged. But what they were able to do was going through the satellite records, they were able to work out when um, roughly the, well, not roughly, when exactly the, the aircraft had sent this little ping, um, basically um, telling the satellite it was there somewhere and was ready to communicate if there was anything to communicate. It's a bit like if you're ever sitting at home in front of the television or near your hi-fi uh, and you suddenly hear these beeping sounds given off by your mobile phone. Um, you know, they, they come across on the loudspeakers and the television or the, the hi-fi loudspeakers. And that's basically your mobile phone telling the network, the Aircom or the Vodafone network or whatever, that, that it's there and it's looking for the strongest possible signal. Um, and that's what that is. And, and that's what was also occurring on the plane to some degree. Now, by working backwards through those signals, measuring the length of time it took to reach particular satellites, they were able to sort of triangulate roughly where that plane might have been flying. Now, this particular exercise had never been attempted or, or succeeded indeed before. And all they could do was give a route, a rough route, um, of where they reckoned the plane was flying. Now, the latest information that you mentioned, Stephen, in your, your introduction was um, a, a recalculation of some of those um, handshakes, as it were, which suggested that it might be in a different area. They've searched to the south. Perhaps they might look at the north. They just, you know, they're running out of money. It's been largely funded by the Australian government, which really has no interest in it because there were no Australians on board the aircraft that went missing. Of course, obviously, the main uh, reason they need to find this plane is because uh, to f try and just uh, find out what the cause is. The Boeing Triple uh, Seven, which I think is described as the workhorse of a uh, long distance travel, um, that going down in such unknown circumstances uh, really um, arouses a lot of suspicion. But um, up till now, there has been a lot of uh, suspicion over the pilot um, accusations that he may have deliberately crashed the plane. Uh, today, we see from NBC reporting that uh, uh, the families of uh, 44 of the people on board are filing a lawsuit uh, in the US um, that a series of catastrophic, catastrophic electrical and other failures may have led to the crash. Uh, from what you have read and from what you've seen, do you think there is a, a more likely uh, explanation for why MH370 crashed? Um, the, 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 there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of theories. One that I subscribe to, and indeed uh, I heard a colleague of mine um, on the radio the other day, uh, an American colleague who writes about... Uh, air crash investigation, Christine Negroni, she's quite a good journalist, um, uh, talking about her theories, and they correspond to some of mine. I mean, one of my theories is that the aircraft is covered in camouflage netting somewhere in North Korea. Don't rule that out. Um, the, the other quite thing... The, it, quite the conspiracy theory, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you just, can't, you just can't ignore some of these. 
Um, the, but the theory that, that Christine um, holds quite dearly is one that I had originally, and again, you can't rule it out, and that is that there may have been some um, disruption to the aircraft uh, which caused the oxygen supply system to fail or that the aircraft became uh, depressurized. Now, if an aircraft becomes depressurized, uh, you really only have about less than a minute of useful consciousness left if you don't get your oxygen mask on quickly. And the suspicion is that the the, the pilots um, may not have realized exactly what would happen, may have delayed getting their mask on, and may have succumbed to um, a form of... um, oxygen starvation known as hypoxia. Now, hypoxia is something that people get at the top of Everest um, when they climb up without oxygen or if they run out of oxygen. And there's a a brief period of euphoria, you know, where you think everything is very funny. uh, And people actually giggle and laugh. And it's it's one of the signs cabin crew, incidentally, are trained to watch for uh, in the event of... um, something going wrong with the aircraft. The, 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 the masks don't always drop from the overhead locker, you know, for the oxygen. And there was one case where uh, a Ryanair aircraft, um, the, the cabin crew noticed that a lot of the passengers were suddenly giggling and they went and checked and they discovered that the oxygen system was failing. Now, it hadn't failed completely. The, the pressurization system uh, was failing um, and they were able to tell the pilot and the pilot realised that his pressurization wasn't properly switched on. He was able to fix that instantly, and everybody recovered, shall we say. But you do lose very quickly the ability to make uh, sensible decisions when hypoxia steps in. And this could have explained the plane meandering around the place um, because it, it went sort of more than 90 degrees. It practically doubled back on itself for, for a period. Instead of having, heading north towards Beijing, um, it, it started to come back towards um, Malaysia and, and then crossed over um, south of Bangkok, crossed over the Malay Peninsula, um, and then seems to have wandered out into the Indian Ocean. Now, the transponder was also switched off. Now, the transponder is a little device that broadcasts to um, other aircraft and to air traffic control um, your your identity, you know, your flight number, uh, your altitude, the direction you're heading in, and um, one or two other um, pieces of information about the flight. Um, the, the aircraft disappeared from uh, what we call secondary surveillance radar, which is the type of radar that's used to track commercial airliners. And the only time it was picked up um, subsequent to this was by a military radar uh, in Malaysia. Um, and the, the, the radar operators didn't even realize that they had seen it until afterwards, which, which begged a question about whether or not they were awake at the time, um, because you would think that uh, military aircraft sees a strange unidentified blip on their screen or military um, radar, yeah, that they would pay a bit of attention and ask, well, who is that and what is it doing? Would. So this unidentified blip heads out into the Indian Ocean, and that's the last we heard of it. 
Would your theory of hypoxia, though, not be uh, discounted by the fact, as you say, that the transponder was seemingly deliberately switched off and that if um, surely the pilots would be aware of that, there would be some sort of warning in the cockpit and they'd be able they'd have time to be able to put their oxygen masks on, as well as the fact that it did, uh, as you say, make that dramatic turn uh, away from its destination and seemingly straight out into the middle of the Indian Ocean. They may have they may have not realized it was switched off. They may have switched it off accidentally because if I don't know if you've ever been in the cockpit of a commercial airliner, there's an awful lot of switches and dials and buttons mm. to 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 um press and in the so called glass cockpit situation where you can cycle through various screens and twist knobs to adjust or 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 or, or switch things on or off um if they were trying to declare an emergency or trying to regain control of the aircraft, um, they could conceivably have switched it off. Um, the fact that nobody has claimed responsibility for, um, you know, doing it, uh, it tends to rule out the possibility of um, terrorism because terrorists usually like to say they they, they did it eventually. Um, there could have been somebody on board. There could have been a bomb. Uh, there could have been a fire. Um, these are other things that could dis- disable the pilots, but not necessarily cause the aircraft to crash, but could disable the pilots and could indeed disable um, a lot of the instruments um, and a lot of the um, devices like the transponder we've just been talking about. So the, the, really, it's 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 a huge area for speculation. I mean, Christine Negroni's theory about the, the hypoxia thing, hypoxia was certainly one of the first things that occurred to me because you do do stupid things when you're, you're starved of oxygen um, before you, you collapse. And I mean, the, the most famous example of this was the, um, the Helios Airways flight, um, which I think was flying to either to or from Greece or Cyprus. Um, I was thinking the, that in that case, a passenger actually tried to save the plane, didn't he? Well, it was actually one of the cabin crew was seen in the cockpit with a portable mm. mask, a portable oxygen mask, um, but he wasn't able to communicate with the, the uh, Greek Fighter fighters jets. that were, were shadowing the aircraft and trying to see what was going wrong. That plane just ran out of fuel then and crashed and there was nothing anybody could do about it. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, another theory, Jerry. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, but uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for joining us. Nice talking to you too, Stephen. You too. That's Jerry Byrne, aviation journalist on the third disappearance of flight MH370. We're uh, still no nearer, I suppose, to discovering what happened.